And I'm Grace. And this is what we wish people knew. Welcome to what I wish people knew about shame. Today we welcome Sarah Piano. Sarah is a licensed clinical social worker, a certified alcohol and drug counselor, and a certified Daring Way facilitator. She's the founder of Head Heart Therapy, which is a group therapy practice specializing in the treatment of adults and adolescents struggling with shame, addiction, mood, anxiety disorders, and many other difficulties of life. She holds a master's degree from Loyola University in Chicago and specializes in shame and substance abuse. Since hearing Dr. Brene Brown speak in the winter of 2009, she has been sharing the concepts of shame, resiliency, authenticity, and vulnerability with her clients. She has completed training with Brene Brown's team and is a certified Daring Way facilitator. The Daring Way is a highly experiential methodology based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown. The method was developed to help men, women, and adolescents learn how to show up be seen, and live brave lives. The primary focus is on developing shame resilience skills and developing a courage practice that transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead. Welcome, Sarah, to this week's episode of What I Wish People Knew About Shame. Welcome, Sarah. We're so happy to have you join us today. Can you? you. Yeah, of course. Um, Can you explain a little bit about what shame means for some of our listeners who may be unfamiliar with the term? Sure. So the, I guess to kind of just, you know, back up a little bit and and talk about why I know what I know about shame is I was trained by Brene Brown and her team um, starting back in 2012. And so Brene has done a ton of research on vulnerability and authenticity and that probably today can be referenced in any of Brene Brown's books. So her long definition for shame is that it's the intensely painful feeling that we're not worthy of love and belonging. Mm-hmm. So the short version of that is essentially um, fear of disconnection. And one really important distinction is between shame and guilt, because those are two words people tend to um, use interchangeably, but they're very different. Shame is I am bad, while guilt is I did something bad. So shame is a focus on self, guilt is a focus on behavior. Thank you so much for that distinction. I was actually going to ask you that question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because people do interchange them very easily and they are very different. Right. Right. And if, you know, I kind of, I really have developed this sense of like feeling, like physically sensing what my clients are experiencing emotionally, um, which probably comes from my family of origin stuff. And I can just feel the difference between shame and guilt. And I can tell you that shame feels heavier. It, it feels heavy, like thick, um, like weighty, while guilt is just, it, 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 guilt seems to be more of like a head experience, while shame feels like a whole body experience. It's mm, a great way to describe it. Yeah. Um, how do you think, and with that in mind, in terms of shame and with it being a more of a body experience, how do you think it manifests in somebody's life? Uh, 
Well, I guess the question is, how does it not manifest in somebody's life? Um, what I've what I've come to realize lately, and I really want to do some more investigation about denial and the way that denial functions, because what's been showing up in my life, personally and professionally, I've just seen the way um, denial steps in as a barrier to shame um, and denial functions just as it sounds is that you know we are denying whatever experience we're actually having whatever truth might be going on and I feel like from from just my my clinical observations um, the more shame somebody has the more potential for denial they have and 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 so the more powerful the shame is the more almost unbelievable the, the denial seems because if you're looking on the outside going like wait a minute, that doesn't seem like reality. Um, if somebody can, can deny something that's so obvious, that just probably means they're terrified of feeling shame. Yeah. And then I imagine then it makes it really hard for somebody with that denial to even see themselves in therapy in general. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of the denial experiences that I've been witnessing lately have been, you know, kind of people on the periphery of my life, not necessarily um, clinically. Well, actually, that's that's not true because now that I now that we've got our IOP open, um, I'm seeing family members and partners really struggle with denial of um, not necessarily of their loved one's addiction issues, but denial of of what their partner getting healthy means for their relationship, which is fascinating. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I have another question. So how do you yeah. think how do you think society and culture influence our people's experiences of shame? Oh, huge. Um one of the things that I hear all the time is I wish I wish you could see because I talk with my hands and this is one of those times <laughs> where uh visual would be helpful, but you know, people will describe, you know, that there's a certain place that they should be in their lives and because of their addiction or because of you know whatever mental health problems have have gotten in the way there seems to be this huge gap between where they are and where they think they should be and I think that should is certainly influenced by media by you know just our culture in general and you know I find that a lot of people with addiction issues there's this almost this like subconscious desire to get knocked off that hamster wheel mm -hmm. that we all seem to be running on in our American culture that that you know success looks a certain way and you know we're supposed to be married by a certain age we're supposed to have a college degree and have children and all of these things and some of my clients I'll see having participated in that and then addiction gets in the way and then what what we start investigating is um, whether or not that life is actually what they wanted or not. And so often I find that that's really not authentically what people want is, is that picture of, of what we're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. And I think for so many people, there's this really, it, it just, it seems like the influence of, of society and especially family too, if family buys into what one would think is a stereotypical like life 
it seems to be really hard for people to get out from under that and express themselves authentically if it if it is in um, opposition to what other people expect. And that's all shame. Right. And so it is so deeply embedded within our culture, within our society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I have another question. So what would you recommend for people to do to become more aware of their experiences of shame? So there are four components of, of shame resilience um, as put forth by um, Brene Brown's shame resilience theory. And the first is recognizing shame and the things that trigger shame. So you know, going to therapy and getting some psychoeducation or, you know, reading Brene Brown's books really is a good first place to start because if you don't know that you're experiencing shame, then there's no way that you can work with it. Right. Um, and so I honestly, I think that's the hardest part because that's where it requires you to really look in the mirror and face the fact that there's a part of you that thinks you're no good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that experience is different for other people, right? Like I am a person and I, I share this openly and honestly all the time. I'm a person who I constantly have this kind of river of shame running underneath me is what I kind of call it. And I, I think of that as chronic shame. And there's just this general sense of not feeling good enough. Like no matter what I do in my brain, I can't convince myself. I can't convince my heart that I'm good enough, Right. So I'm a type of person who really needs to be practicing shame resilience every day and being really diligent about it. Um, Some people might not have quite that um, chronic experience of shame, but it's the same with acute experiences of shame. If you you are feeling not good enough in that moment, the, the same techniques apply. So So first, recognizing shame, the things that might trigger it could be, it could be really big things like body image, um, you know, money, uh, you know, our jobs, our families, it could be big things like that. Or it could be just little things like a silly example I often use is when people criticize my driving, for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, that just totally sends me into shame. Um, So Step one is recognizing shame and triggers. Uh, Step two is being able to practice critical awareness. And that means essentially stepping back and recognizing what, what are the messages that are influencing the way that I'm thinking about this situation. So like we were talking about earlier society, right? So, you know, if, if someone, this is a thing that I often hear with my clients is, you know, if I, if I am 35 and I am, you know, working at a bar instead of, you know, having a quote unquote successful career, um, what is influencing the shame that I feel about that? Is it really something, is that a value that I hold or is that society telling me that my job is not good enough? Right. Um, And then the third and fourth, uh, components of shame resilience, I think, really go together, and it's it's reaching out and telling our story, and we need to reach out to people who are able to empathize with us, because um, empathy is the antidote to shame, and 
kind of going a step further, I like to add on to Brene's work here because for me with chronic shame and my experiences of it, um, empathy is not enough for me. I need to practice self-compassion because no matter what people tell me, like I've got the most amazing, wonderful husband and he will say the sweetest things to me, but it's not going to put a dent in the way that I view myself unless I am practicing self-compassion. Absolutely. That's so important. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's, um, yeah. it's really nice to hear not only personal, but also professional uh, points of view as it relates to shame. And it's so something that's so deeply embedded within our society and that people don't even a lot of times recognize like you had talked about. Right. Yeah. Shame wants to be hidden because, you know, secrecy, silence, and judgment are what create more shame and cause it to grow um, as opposed to empathy and self-compassion eradicating it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's not there as, you know, when, when people are children, but then as we grow into adults, it's like... Uh, people are almost criticized for everything that they do and it's not okay to do well sometimes. Yeah. You know, that's actually something that I, I would love to do more investigation on as well, because a client of mine came in a couple of weeks ago and described an experience where, you know, she, she was, um, she, I, I, her son's like four or something like that. She was disciplining her son and she said he put his hands over his ears when she was telling him what he had done wrong. She's a very good mother. She's very kind, empathetic, like really approaches parenting in a, in a very thoughtful way. So I know that she wasn't necessarily causing shame for this kid. Um, but the more that we talked about it, the more it was very clear to me that he was experiencing shame. Yeah. And that actually countered what I had assumed about shame, which is what you just said, that it's, that it's something we grow into based on what society puts upon us. But I, I'm curious and, and kind of sort of leaning towards the belief that um, some of us are just wired for it. And, and he might be one of those children who was wired for shame. And so his mom and I talked about like, you know, ways to encourage him to um, recognize that that's what he's experiencing and being able to talk about it rather than just running away from it, because then that would increase his propensity for addiction and acting out behaviors and, and all sorts of other things that she's certainly not going to want to um, see him go through later in life. Yeah, absolutely. That is really interesting. And it sounds yeah. like it's something that's worth investigating and researching. I know. I just need to figure out who will do the dirty work because I don't, I'm not going to like do statistics or bullshit like that. So I, <laughs> I, ho I hope I can cuss on here or at least you can. No, that's it. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so well, any researchers out there, contact me. I that's, can do a quick, uh, I can do a quick search. I have access to all the like online libraries since I'm a student. So yeah. um, I would, that's, yeah, something that's, um, interesting for me to to investigate. Yeah, awesome. Um, so thank you again. Um, would you think that there's anything else that you would want people to know about shame? Uh, that's a good question. What would I want them to know about shame? 
I guess I guess I would encourage people to assume that they have it rather than assume that they don't because I, I think shame is one of those tricky emotions that in, unless you're you know like really doing this investigative work um, it might it might seem hidden um, I even had a therapist friend of mine who I respect she's one of my favorite therapist in, in, in Chicago. And she was like, I don't think I have shame issues. And then we started talking more and it became clear that perfectionism was a really big issue for her. And I was like, Oh, Hey, guess what? It's that's fueled by shame. Um, and she didn't recognize that. Um, so unless you're a sociopath, you experience shame. And so I, I guess I just want to open people up to that curiosity of instead of thinking about, oh, I don't have this, I don't need to work on it, thinking about, oh, gosh, where could it be influencing my life and, um, and influencing my behaviors, and I don't even know it. Right. That is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for your time. I know time is valuable and I really yeah. appreciate you talking to me about shame. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I will uh, talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. For more information, please visit our latest blog post on shame at www.acceptingtherapy.com. This week's self-care challenge is related to shame. Over the next week, think about one aspect of yourself that you would like to forgive. For example, most people feel as though they are not good enough. So for the next week, allow yourself to just be yourself without the judgment of not feeling good enough. This will be a pretty difficult self-care challenge for most of you but try it. And that includes us. You'll be surprised by how forgiving yourself can help. And thank you for listening to what I wish people knew.